me, Nick Elliott. And me, Andrew Elliott. So, Sounding Board. This is a weekly discussion podcast on everything small government, free market, free speech, and everything in between. And me and my brother here thought it would be a good idea for us to talk a bit more about this stuff uh, and get it out there to encourage more people to talk about these topics because they don't really seem to be out there a lot. So what are we going to talk about this week? Well, quite a bit has happened this week. Um, today there's been a visit from President Trump, a state visit to see the Queen. Not a state visit. Is it not a state visit? Working visit. Working visit, okay. Not a state visit. Sorry, working visit to the Queen, to see Theresa May. Yeah, you get to see the Queen, but it's not a state visit. What the hell is that about? Well, I assume because he was meeting the Queen. No, it's a not state a state visit. visit. Okay, well, it's, it's a it's a visit. It's a visit. Um, <laughs> we've also had uh, a number of resignations from uh, government ministers. Um, and this is all after the um, the, the the notorious now Checker Checkers Summit. Yes, uh, which was last Friday. So we're recording this one week on from pretty much to the hour where the uh, the Checkers memo was was released, uh, which was Theresa May's so-called plan on <laughs> on Brexit. Um, and let's be clear, um, and I'm sure everyone, uh, uh, our dear listener, understands this, but th- this is a, a plan that has taken however many months to formulate with just the cabinet um, after yeah, well, month or months of wrangling. It isn't what the deal's going to be. It's just what we put into the negotiation is what we say we want the deal to be. And... Anyone, and I mean anyone who's ever been in a negotiation for anything, um, you don't get you don't get what you ask for the first time. Certainly not something complex like this. It might if you if you got lucky one day and offered offered some money on a car and someone said yes, you might go ha ha, and then you probably thought, damn, I should have offered lower. This isn't that. This is a lot more complicated. Um, and well, on a, on a car, you're negotiating for one thing, the price. And yes. That's it. Yes. On this, we're negotiating for all different sorts of trade deals and. You know, customs arrangements, yeah, and, and sharing information, yeah, how, yeah, how people come and go, yeah, all uh, sorts. So it's complicated. It is. It is. Um, but but also, you know, you or I would would not want to have that negotiation publicly, because if you do that, then you're just at the whim of of you know in quotes public opinion, rather than actually the you know the hard graft of of head to head negotiation for something, um, where Obviously, obviously yeah, quite clearly, you want to control that environment, not be at the whim of, of a newspaper or a leak or, or something. Well, so that's, I think that's where the negotiations went wrong straight away. Right from the beginning. We went to them. Um, I, I think, so negotiations are all about the balance of power, whether you're yes. negotiating for a contract at work or buying a car or whatever. You don't want to go in there looking desperate. And we yes. went... We went in there without in a plan, yeah. cap in hand, looking desperate. And the issue, well, one, one of the issues, I think, uh, is that there are lots of Remain ministers in the cabinet, um, particularly Theresa May, who still believe we should be in the EU and want something as close as possible to EU membership. And even the Brexit ministers, lots of them are quite authoritarian, they're statists. So... When you or I were voting for Brexit, thinking this is fantastic, we're gonna, yeah, we might have another Sir John Cooper Thwaite at the helm, slashing yeah, regulation. Yeah. Um, 
all they want to do is replicate the regulation and, and keep it ill in house, which is not what certainly not what you or I voted for. I don't think it's no. what a lot of people voted for as well. And 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 this is the point, isn't it? That we've been waiting for this um, for this summit. Um, and in, well, in fact, I've been waiting for ministers to resign for something other than you know touching someone on the knee for for quite a while uh, to actually make a stand against what seems to be a really bizarre stance. Other than if you do want to create what you just said there, which is uh, just a re- just a replica again of the EU relationship, um, just with a different name, um, and. When it came out, and I when I read the you know the white paper's only just come out, but I read I yes, read the, I read the memo, um, I just immediately thought how 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 can you put this past anyone, let alone let alone the cabinet, um, for for creating terms that are just mere parallels of what already exists. Um, we're ending free movement of people, but we're going to create a mobility framework. Oh, brilliant. We're not going to have a customs union. No, no, we're going to have we're going to have a customs area or whatever, or a territory, or all of all of these things. We're we're not going to have a single market for goods. No, we're going to have a common rule book. But that, oh, these are different words. If these are different words, well, we must have delivered on the result. But the common the common rule book is the EU rule book. Yes, the common rule book. Not, the, they create the rules and we follow them. Exactly. That's not a it's, common it's, rule book. And, and I think Jacob Rees-Mogg has this right. In it's basically. Turning us into a vassal state. Yeah, um, yeah, I I agree. And so I, I don't know anyone. I don't know anybody who voted Leave who would be satisfied with that as an end result. Let alone that being no, you know, our first effort in a negotiation. Even so, I mean, well, I think we should come on to the politics of this in a minute. I mean, I think people are uh, now going to be pretty clear on where we stand. <laughs> um, certainly with Brexit, what we thought it meant uh, or what we hoped it would mean, because that's just, again, it's a slightly different thing. Um, I mean, even even the conversations with my wife this week, um, who who doesn't particularly like talking about politics, um, albeit or albeit albeit she will, um, uh, uh, been massively frustrated this week, albeit mainly because I think she just wants it to be over. When, whenever I talk to her though about the things that are happening, and she's like, but, but isn't it just this? Isn't it just a bit of a compromise? And then you, you go into the detail and you go. Well, that's not right at all, is it? And, and and that's the point. I think that what what the, the 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 government at the moment is trying to do is is trying to pull pull the wool over enough people's eyes for them to go, okay, we were never going to get what what we wanted in the first place, uh, and the general election result, etc., 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 and it's still the big bad EU. So let's get something and then call it a day and and, and move on. Um, it's it's our job to point out. Um, where where it's just so fundamentally wrong that it that it needs rethinking, um, but I think we should. I I want to get onto the politics. I want to get onto what actually happened then. So we had this. We had the cabinet all agreed, and there was there was this bizarre you know briefing of um, you know the taxis will be waiting outside or whatever because their ministerial cars will be taken away if they resign, and stupid threats from number ten. On the Friday, well, that seemed, that seemed so really, really petty. It seemed really petty, didn't it? And so nobody resigned. And I, I remember thinking at the time when that was briefing, thinking, well, I, I wouldn't resign then. I'd, I'd let them announce that we've got cabinet unanimity, and then I'd resign. Of course, I'm not going to resign if I have to give my car back. Then I'm going to end this stupid weekend. Yeah. Get home and comfortable. Let, let them announce a big win, and then I'll resign. And then do it where it hurts the most. 
Um, and what happened? David Davis then resigned on the Sunday after a day at Silverstone. <laughs> but yes, because I, I remember I was, it was about 11, 11.30 at night and I was just sorting out the kitchen for the, the next morning yeah. to going back to work. So I was tidying up, doing the dishwasher and I thought, I'll just check Twitter to see if anything is Anything's happening. happened. And he, he just resigned and I, I was online until about 1.30. Just, just reading up. Well, reading up, chatting. seeing if anybody else was going to resign. Yes. Um, Steve Baker. Uh, oh, that's right, Steve Baker. Resigned, resigned as, well. as well. Yeah. There was, I think... So Steve Baker, uh, um, a minister in the department for Exeter Union, European Union. Yes, correct. David Davis being Secretary of State. Um, and there was there was talk of another minister resigning, but I don't think she did in the end. Yeah. Um, and, and a few other people were rumoured to, you know, to, to, to yeah. be resigning. Um, yeah. And then the next morning, I believe, or around, was it about lunchtime? It was about a day later, but yeah, I don't think it was the evening, was it? There was when, no, no, I think it was, it was when Boris, early afternoon when, when Boris Johnson... I think you're right, it might have been the mid-morning. Yeah, it wasn't long after. Um, I don't and, think... So I, I have a theory that I don't think he wanted to be upstaged first. by oh. David Davis. And I think he was worried that a few more people would be resigning. There'd be a leadership contest. And he wants to be able to throw his hat in the ring if such a, you know, such a uh, yeah. happening occurs. Yeah, and so what were you thinking? Was you, you think he wanted to get out early, or you wanted he wanted to wait to see what happened first? Is that what no? You I don't. I think he wanted to he wanted to get out early. Yeah, just in case it happened, because he didn't want to appear that he like he was reacting to a leadership. Uh, yes, um, yes, he was making his own mind up based yes. on based on that. Yeah, um, which is kind of like sort of second and third guessing what he's what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I read. Um, I thought David Davis's uh, letter of resignation. I mean, let's face it, David Davis has rumoured to have threatened to resign about you know 83 times or whatever now um and and that's fine if if threatening to resign then you get what you want <laughs> then you can threaten as much as you like <laughs> um but his his letter i thought was was very measured very clear it was um, but it was it was savage in a, in a, in yes. a kind of calm yes no no calm and that's what i like about it that's what i like about it it was it was he was a sniper well yeah i mean and i I've always been, I've always been a bit of a fan of his. I, well, I was. I remember being a fan of his until he he well, one of his many resignations um, from when he re resigned from being the uh, shadow Home Secretary. So this is before the twenty ten election, where he resigned um, in order to fight his own seat again um, because of one of the terror legislation pieces or something that was going through the government at the time. Um, and uh, and he decided to fight it on you know civil liberties or whatever, um, and I remember thinking, okay, yeah, just a bit, bit of grandstanding or whatever, and maybe this is just because he didn't win the leadership and yeah, yada yada yada. But he's always been consistently, um, yeah, when when people poll on David Davis, he's always he's always held up as uh, as someone who's a straight talker, and that people trust him. And well, you know, so I quite liked that. him in the in the leadership election in. Or when, when, when would it have been? 2005 or whatever? 2005, yeah. Yeah, because I wasn't sure about David Cameron initially. No, likewise, likewise. Um, he then came across as, as quite... And then I did like him afterwards. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, as much as you can like any politician. Well, and, you know, it won't be this edition that we talk about David Cameron and what we think of him. But uh, I think... Uh, the, the point being is there's a proper story to tell there, I think. Yes. Uh, talking about him. But we're talking about David Davis. 
and yeah, you you liked him during that leadership election. Yeah, I thought I thought it was okay. I thought he was on the kind of the more liberal side of the Conservative Party, which is yeah where I saw myself. And um, let's let's be clear to to our listener. This is the, the proper use of the term liberal. Yes, the not, traditional classical liberal, British liberal, yeah. not the American leftist yeah. authoritarian yeah. liberal. So um, liberal, yeah. yeah tr- traditional British liberal. Yeah. Um, so what he said in his resignation letter um, was that um, you know, this, this wasn't something he could, um, he could stand by um, and so therefore he needed to he needed to go, um, but if memory serves, well, in fact, am I confusing Boris's letter now? Did he say that the control that we'd have over our laws was 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 an illusion, or was that or was that what Boris said? Because Boris, I Boris think, obviously loves words. I think and so Boris's was, resignation I think letter that might have been Boris. Yeah, Boris's resignation letter was a lot longer, and you know, used used more more um, flowery language, a colourful language, just like more flowery language, because that's how Boris is. But equally, it, it just it made the right points, and it made me at least feel like there were some ministers in the cabinet um, that that thought this was a betrayal um, of the vote. Um, so rewind a little bit then. So before any resignations, everyone's gone dark. We've had we've had it announced that this is the Chequers Agreement and the Cabinet is behind it. Well, I was just waiting for people to resign. I, I know. I but, so Saturday happened, nothing really happened. No one's heard from any of the Brexiteers at all. We'll come back to Liam Fox in a minute. But Sunday morning, who's on the Andrew Marr show? I, I don't really watch it anymore. But who's out there shilling for this deal? The Govester. What is he doing? And it turns out, turns out that at the, right at the beginning of the Brecker's, Checkers, I don't want to say Brexit, and I got <laughs> Brexit and Checkers, Brecker's, <laughs> I like that, um, the Checkers Summit on Friday, right at the beginning, he comes out for the, um, for the agreement and says, no, this is what, this is what we need to do. What, what the hell? What, what, I mean, Gover's made some mistakes in his time. Um, and you can argue that we have Theresa May as Prime Minister because of Gove, and so that's oh, one yeah, of absolutely. the worst things he absolutely. ever did to us. Um, but at the same time, I've always quite liked Gove, and I like a lot of the things he's done. But I at least thought he was a Brexiteer, and then he's come out for this deal. I mean, I, th- I, think, I think him uh, coming out against Boris is possibly worse than Margaret Beckett coming out <laughs> for Jeremy Corbyn. Um, you know, there, there are two horrendous, horrendous mistakes that politicians have made. Um, yeah. I mean, you can keep tracking back all sorts of things, to, but if only this person did this, but if only that person did that. Um, um, I mean, those are both very amusing, uh, very amusing stories to tell, aren't they? Um, but what we got there is suddenly you've got someone who is a key prominent figure of the Leave campaign saying, do you know what, this is fine. Now, I have to admit, when I heard what he said on Sunday, there was a part of me, because Gove is convincing. I would actually say, uh, and again, we can, we can go back into our political histories at some point, and we'll, we'll, this is not the last time we're going to talk about Brexit, but uh, 
Gome was a large part in me absolutely committing to the leave vote. Really? Yes. When he um, when he came out for leave, bearing in mind that yeah, he basically wasn't supposed to. Boris wasn't supposed to. They 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 both came across. Um, you know, David Cameron's mates, and you know they don't talk to each other anymore. And you know, it's proper personal stuff that happened. Um, Gove has always been um, uh, a Eurosceptic, and so it, it, yeah, it was, it was a difficult decision for him. But when he's he always been out, a Eurosceptic. Yeah, but but he was shelving it for David Cameron and. and right, I don't, I didn't, I don't know, I don't know too much about. Yeah, his, his yeah, um, yeah. It's not and shouted about it, but. It's, this was this was the issue for him was was can he really can he really honestly either not campaign or campaign for Remain? Um, and so I remember his you know, one of his first you know interviews or a BBC interview where he just went out there and it was all again it was all about sovereignty and taking back control and all this and and that that was that was the moment I was like yeah okay fine you got me yeah you got me on that. And he was describing even how how the court system worked because he was. Justice Minister, so course, he, you know he, he knew how it worked, you know all of this, and he was really convincing. And you know he, you know, slimy politician, yes, but you know convincing. On Sunday, he was convincing me of this approach, and he used a phrase. Um, uh, I'm not sure if I've got the exact words, but it was not letting the uh, perfect be the enemy of the good. Is that right? Or no, or the best being the enemy of the good. And so the point was, we're not going to get perfection, so let's get this. What he also said, and I read an article this morning uh, that said the worst thing that could possibly happen now is for the EU to say, yep, we'll go with that deal, <laughs> which, which is absolutely the case. But it was him saying, this is us being very, very generous. And so what we're now expecting is a very generous offer with compromise back. And if we don't get that, then we're off. And that that seems a good position. But although, the point is, although, you've already compromised too much with this. You have. So the EU are not going to come back with compromises that harden the Brexit no. deal at all. No. Um, so whatever they come back Other with... Other than is, forcing a, a you know, so-called no deal. Because they're so hardline in the indivisible nature of the, of the four freedoms and... And all of that, that they're saying, no, you can't, you can't just yes, take that, goods that, out. So of it's, either gonna, it's either going to be no deal, or it's going to be a softer deal than this. An is, even softer deal, yes. Which is way too soft already. Yeah, yeah. Even if, even, even if you, you might, you might want to think, okay, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you don't opt for perfect in your first negotiation. Absolutely, because the whole point is the negotiation is about moving from perfect to acceptable. Exactly, isn't it? From both sides, you put it, you know, you put in a silly offer. Yes. Um, you know, put it up that you're not expecting, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, to, 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 to get acknowledged yeah. um, at all. Uh, and then you work from there, you know, but I, we, we put in a you're daft right. offer, exactly. they put in exactly. a daft offer, and then we work, then we work somewhere exactly. that may be agreeable by both parties. If not, then we don't have a deal. So then we've got, so we'll go come out for the, for the deal, or for the offer, should we say. Um, you've then got David Davis can't live with it, Boris can't live with it, and as you say, there's, you know, everything's politics with Boris anyway, so he's thinking about whether or not he can become PM at some point, which is fine, and frankly, anyone would be better right now. Um, then, um, uh, again, someone I've had my eye on for a long time, Dominic Raab, then gets promoted to be the Brexit secretary, See, I... and, and then I think, complete sellout. 
See, that, that was my thing. My, my, I, 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 I've had high hopes for him. I quite liked Rab. Um, my instant reaction was so. not, on, oh, oh, good, we've got a proper Brexiteer in it. Which it's, it, my first thought was, oh, no, May's promised him something no. and he's sold out. Uh, the, the point is, no one should have accepted that job. Exactly. I, I, I mean, in fact, it would have at least made more sense had <laughs> Gove come out on Sunday, said all that stuff, and then her point at Gove and say, see, Gove's going to be the guy. That would at least have made some sense. And he would have done the groundwork first to show, I believe, in this deal. No Brexiteer should have accepted that. No, that exactly. Role. And so, um, yeah, uh, Do- Dominic Raab has now, has now His dropped like a stone. Yeah, in, uh, in, in my estimation. Um, but so the point being, though, is we've now got a split. We've now got a split in the Leave side, in the Brexiteer side, which is obviously bad because what they need to do right now is just come together around one person. And it, again, it almost doesn't matter who it is. Boris, David, Davis, who, whoever, whoever. Reece they just need to come around one person and say, we're going to have the leadership election. We're going to all get behind one person and their only mission is Brexit. Because my, my worry now is that in order to get this through, because you've got a handful or, or, or more... To get what through? Uh, the proposal. So it needs to go through Parliament. Yes. Um, so to get Well, that, you need the opposition MPs then now, if you've got the, exactly. the and European in Research or, Group not in order, in order to do that, they might need to soften it even more. Yes. Yes. Yeah, because suddenly, parliamentary sovereignty has become Parliament is the government in the eyes of every Remain voting MP, which is a you know com- complete nonsense. You you have a government, and yes, the government is drawn from our Parliament. It's not like the American system where where you're not part of the legislature, but the legislature don't run the government. <laughs> they set the budget, and that's it. And and over here again. They make laws, they scrutinise, um, but they, they, what, what they want to do is run the, uh, the actual negotiation. It's not how government works. And they, they do all this under the guise of sovereignty. Well, you, you wanted Parliament to be sovereign. Yeah, but I don't want Parliament to be the government. If we needed to get a vote from 650 MPs every time we wanted to do anything in government, nothing would happen. Hey, that's quite a good idea. Maybe that would mean nothing would happen. <laughs> See, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't mind this because it, it, it kind of it lets people know just how bad how bad government can be and yes. how bad our system, yeah, can can be. Yeah. Um, so you know, the more that people perhaps realise that government and particularly politicians and that no system is foolproof, yeah, and that they perhaps want to start making a few more decisions on their own, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Which I think is probably a good point to yeah. pause and let's come take back a break in a couple of moments with a. Gin and tonic, I you're, you're listening to Sounding Board with me, Nick Elliott. And me, Andrew Elliott. See you in a few minutes. Hello, so welcome back to Sounding Board. We're now in my kitchen, just about to make a drink. It's a Friday evening and I'm going to make Nick a gin and tonic. Because for some reason, and I think you're becoming aware of this, but... Um, Gin appears to be the libertarian drink. Well, this is what you've been telling me. That that's uh, I've, I've not done any research into this. I mean, I you know I'm a I'm a whiskey drinker. Um, uh, as, as am I. Yeah. Um, if we're if we're talking spirits, um, would it would it surprise 
surprise you to hear that what you're about to prepare for me here is the first ever gin and tonic that I've ever had. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. You've never had a gin and tonic? I have never had a gin and tonic. Okay, well, this is going to be a good one. So, as you fumble around the kitchen now, so this do, is doing things I don't understand. Okay, so I'm just putting some ice in. The trick really, I need. I should really have bigger ice cubes than that so they don't melt. Right. They will be fine. We're so use, is there a science to this then? There is, there is. Um, so we're going to, this is Tanqueray gin, which is not my favourites. And okay. it's a good beginner's gin. Because I know you're not a, perhaps as much of a connoisseur as I am. What, whatever um, gave you that impression, considering this is my <laughs> first time? Have you never had gin in anything? Have you had a I've had gin in stuff, yeah. But yeah. Okay, not, so. never had a gin in Right, well... Here we go. So anyway, um, today we have had a visit, well not, not us personally, but Britain has had a visit from Donald Trump. Well he arrived he must a couple of days ago, didn't he? He's, he's been here, it's been a, been a couple of days visit, isn't it? Uh, when did he go back? Uh, like tomorrow, does he? Or? Possibly tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I always thought it was a bit odd when he flew, in at, flew into Stansted. <laughs> I know. What's um, that about? I mean, I know that Heathrow isn't exactly... It's London Airport, London Stansted. Well, I know, but... It, but Stansted, or they see this is the great thing about it, isn't it? What they do, they don't just fly over an Air Force One. Oh no no no! What they do is they fly over in their, you know, big <laughs> Hercules or whatever, um, with uh, the Beast. You know, the, you know that's the name of the car. Have you heard that? No. Is no. It like, a, like a Batmobile thing. Or? No, this is this is his limo. This is the limo. Okay. You've not heard that? It's called the Beast. No. Right. Okay. I knew, I knew he had, I heard he had a flash limo. So this is this is the beast. limo that can you know survive a nuclear blast or whatever. This is this is the one that that's got. Have you ever seen the doors? No, there's the Batmobile then. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, have you seen the doors on it? So whenever you see a shot of him coming out of uh, out of the side of it, and this is obviously what this is what he uses over there and over and you know wherever he goes, that'll that'll be tonic. Um, the doors are about that thick. Wow. It's it's yeah. Um, sorry, listener, you can't see exactly how. That, that's approximately four inches, I'd say, four or five inches. Yeah. Well, you are a man, so what? Yeah, that's, that's how long is that really? Ten anyway, inches. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. So they bring the beast over. They bring over a Sikorsky to be Marine One. Um, they do. They do the whole works. You know, it's Ring of Steel stuff. It's you know, it's it's the works. So. He flies in into Stansted, gets off the plane, walks onto Marine One, and then flies into London. Right. And then from you know when he when he then went to Blenheim Palace, jumps on Marine One, goes off there. So you've got all the shots of you know the, of the iconic helicopter that you see in West Wing and every other um, every other TV show or film with American president. But they take it all around with them. They take it around with them. So that's what they that's what they use when they uh, when they go around. Right. So what have I got? What have I got? Cheers. Here? This is it's uh, a Cheers. double tanqueray and tonic Thank with you a much. good squeeze of lime in there. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. It's a nice summer drink. My first GT. It's a bit acquired. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll, we'll keep going. It is, a, yeah, it's an interesting flavour. Especially with the lime. Yeah. Is that, is that normal, putting lime in it? Uh, I prefer lime. 
Right. Um, you can put lemon in it or water. I mean, yeah. I've got some gins that are infused with orange that, that have that we've got about 30 gins. Oh, well, I know. So we're not going well, to run out. No, absolutely. Anyway, so, so we've got Trump. We have, and there's been this enormous blimp. Blocks out the sun. Oh, it's just it's been flying over London. Uh, it covers um, London, doesn't it? I don't. So if you haven't, if you haven't seen this thing, it's about I think it's something like eighteen to twenty feet high. Um, Which sounds bigger than it, it is, isn't it's, it? It's, it's, it's not. It's, it's like, just it's a glorified like, balloon. It's yeah. It's, it's the size of a couple of human beings, probably. Yeah. Um, if you you know you go to a hen party, you probably see women with you know larger balloons on the back of limousines. It's you know just a yeah a, a big Trump baby on a piece of string. It's yeah. the most underwhelming sight I think. I was always I, I was really hoping it would be big. I quite like this yeah. kind of analog trolling. <laughs> you know, I was hoping there'd be this huge, this huge kind of virgin hot air balloon size, size yes. you know, zeppelin that was going to launch over London and well, you'd be able to see it from anywhere. They've been using the term blip. Is yes. it's, it's not a blip. It's a balloon. It's, it's not it's a, a balloon. Yeah, it's a balloon that yeah, a couple of people have been holding on to and walking around. There is going to be another one though, apparently. Um, is that going to be any bigger? I, I don't know, but they, so lots of people were uh, a little bit upset. Um, at Sadiq Khan, um, but what, for allowing it? No, just be, because of his kind of I don't know his, his two faces about free speech. So he he was he was behind this because he said, oh I can't you know just because people can you be two faced about free speech or can you just be against free speech? Well no, so he was he was saying with regards to the the the, the Trump blimp um, that he couldn't possibly get in the way of this. It's a free speech issue. Just because some people might get offended, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stop it. Right. But there have been loads of instances where there have been adverts on the tube. Are you beach body ready, for example? All these things oh, have yeah, been yeah, banned yeah. because yeah. some people may find them offensive. Yeah. So you're either for free speech or you're yeah. not. And he's just picking and choosing. So what's happened, there's been another crowdfunding uh, campaign yeah. that reached 30 grand within a couple of hours, right. which took you know took the Trump limb days and days and days with lots of media coverage to reach within a couple of hours. Yes. They're, they're going to have a, a Sadiq Khan balloon above London to show their displeasure at as, him as, as mayor of London. Oh, yeah. baby um, Sadiq? It might be a baby Sadiq, um, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, just to, to, to show him that they're displeased with, with right. his reign as mayor of London. Um, well, he's, a, he's just a bit of a non-entity, isn't he? Uh, he's just an absolute waste of space. Yeah, but that's where, that's where politics is at the moment, where someone like him can, can win. And I'm not going to say that... Um, uh, what's his chops? Who did he run against? It was the Tory, uh, Zach Goldsmith. Uh, I'm not saying that he had the best campaign or that he even. <laughs> I'm not, had, I'm not even going to say that he could, he, could tie, he could, you know, button his jacket properly. Or hold a pint. <laughs> Both of those photos are great. Um, but it's not all about that. <laughs> no. But yeah, that's just the state of politics now when, when, when Sadiq Khan can be the mayor of London. It makes you, it makes you not proud to be. The English. I mean, so London is traditionally very left-wing, isn't it? So yeah. It's it's rare that anybody, you know, right of centre would get in. Boris is, I mean, so lo lo love him or hate him, he's 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 good at winning, and he can win over people yeah. who you wouldn't expect him to win over. Which yeah. is why I was quite grateful that he joined the, the you know the league. But even 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 Ken Livingston wasn't you know shouting about Hitler every five minutes when he was not the mayor no. of London. I don't think anyone had too much of a problem. You, you, you could disagree with his politics, but he was at least professional about it. 
I mean, he's gone a bit shouty crackers in the last kind yes. of decade. And he, gave, and, and he gave that amazing speech, didn't he, after the 7th seven, seven yes. bombing? That was a fantastic speech. It, exactly. And he's not, he's not a natural speaker. No. At all. And made it, I mean, in fact, I, so you, this is a podcast, so you can't see this, but I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about the speech, speech afterwards. Yeah. Um, amazing. Well, and this is, yeah, let, let's be clear, we're, we're for pointing out um, you know, good practice, good politics, good ideas from whoever says them, and mm. and and you can. There's no one's all good, no one's all bad. I'm a I'm a, a firm believer in. So we we may spout off and say, oh, that person is dead to me, and oh, I really like this guy, <laughs> and whatever. But what what we mean is we like we like something, probably most of what this person is saying or what they said, and there are there are going to be times where if someone says or does something, then that does just trump everything. Um, and it doesn't matter what else they can say. Um, but there are plenty of examples where creatures of the left um, will will say things, and you think, no, I totally agree with that. Totally agree. And if we talk about speeches, then it was uh, Hillary Benn's speech yes. in the Commons, which again, that one, that one gave me goosebumps. Um, this was on whether to bomb Syria, I think, which sounds sounds bad when you say it out loud like that. Um, but he gave a cracking. That was the that was the best speech I'd ever heard in in the Commons, um, by far. Yeah, I have to agree with you on that one. That was that was exceptional. Yeah, um, you you and it took a really, lot of, it took a lot of courage to say it from his side of the benches as well. Uh, stood um, stood right stood behind up, yeah, up, Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, yeah, behind Corbyn, up against his, yeah. up against his his dear leader. Yeah. Um, yeah, Trump. If we're coming back to him, isn't and this is what's great? He's, 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 he is not a natural orator. He's not. He's not someone who you would say gives good speech. Okay. He, he, no, but he's very easy to listen to. Yes, he's incredibly so he's no, engaging. He's, he's no Churchill, but you like listening to him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Know, he, he's he's easy to listen to. He is. He's quite amu- amusing. Um, I th- I think there's a little bit of self-deprecation in there as well. I'm, I'm oh, sure. Oh, that I'm, absolutely is. I'm sure he says stuff. He, he knows are going to wind people up. Of course he does. Um, he's, you he know. loves winding them up, and, and the fact that they don't see that, I I think is is really funny. Well, so one one of the things that surprised me um, is that people are still treating him, and they still appear to be expecting him to act like a politician, and he's not a politician. Not that, a politician. that was that was why people loved him. Why you know why he was a bit marmite in America. Yeah. That, you know, one of the reasons people wanted him was because he's anti-establishment. He's not a politician. He doesn't need the money. Yes, um, yes, he's, he's, he's not in anyone's pocket. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and people are still expecting him to behave like any other party politician who's relying on this as a source of income. Yes. He's relying on this for their, you know, for their career. For their career. Yeah. He's not doing any of that. So he doesn't care about saying, "I'm not going to answer any questions from CNN." You're just fake news. <laughs> yeah. And then moving on to so let's go on to Fox, a real network. You know, is what he said earlier. That's what he said he, today. He, yeah. he doesn't mind about that because no. he's not. You know, he doesn't. He doesn't care. What, what no. CNN when asked him? about Boris Johnson, so in an interview with the Sun, and then again repeated today, while standing three feet away from Theresa May in a in a joint press conference, he said, "Yeah, I think Boris Johnson would be a great prime minister." And you know, <laughs> you're laughing because it is funny because she was two feet away. Um, she obviously wouldn't have appreciated that, but it's because he's not a politician. And he doesn't care. It's because he's he just doesn't gonna, care. He's gonna he then said lovely things about her. He did. But there's an etiquette to these things that he does not care about. 
Which is quite refreshing to see. I yeah, I, I, I prefer people who I, 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 you know where you stand with him. You know where you stand with him, and um, and so do you. Do you prefer people who don't? <laughs> I can see from the look on your face that you're going to throw me a googly. <laughs> so <laughs> people who don't quite adhere to the etiquette. Um, so who do these, these things? Oh come on! It's got to be. It's it, we've had so much good news all in this last week that we can talk about. It has to be Juncker. It has to be. <laughs> if, if anyone doesn't quite conform uh, to the way that uh, a senior statesman should, um, then it's uh, it's Juncker who today had staggering to hell <laughs> had to be held up by the people around him, had to be helped down the stairs, had to be caught a number of well, so times he, he by was, the person behind him. Well, he was worse than Hillary Clinton in the election campaign, at, you know, when, when, it, when she overheated at yeah. 72 degrees or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was just absent. Let's be clear that, you know, she wasn't pissed. No, no, there was something, there was obviously something, yeah. something quite, quite wrong there. And Because yeah. so, people were saying about Juncker as well, saying, oh, he's, it's sciatica, he suffers with sciatica. Um, Who was saying, what, that, the, 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 today's issues were his sciatica, apparently. <laughs> Does um, he need a lot of medicine, <laughs> medicinal drinking for his sciatica? Then? Well, that, that's what people were tweeting. Uh, you know, there were lots of tweets this evening from people in like pubs saying, I'm at the sciatica clinic and uh, <laughs> all this kind of thing. Um, <laughs> I'm having a Cabernet sciatica <laughs> with my evening meal this evening. Um, so, but yeah, he and, and there are lots of other people who are saying that I've, you know, I've got, I've got a, I've got a, you know, a bulging disc. I suffer from sciatica, and he smashed. I know it's yeah, exactly. I, I have sciatica. I have been smashed. I can tell you that <laughs> that is what it's like when you're smashed. Um, I think I think most people who've been who've been smashed um, will uh, will recognise the behaviour. They'll, they'll they'll appreciate it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So no, no, I don't like. I don't like. <laughs> um, I don't like Juncker, um, particularly as I'm being forced to pay for him. And probably paying in part for his his fine wines and cheeses and all the other stuff. And uh, well, the cheese budget of the commission oh, is, isn't it? is ridiculously huge. I can't believe we're talking about a cheese budget. It, there is a cheese budget. There I is. Mean, you couldn't you couldn't get more French actually than that. But um, we should have a cheese. I don't really have a cheese budget. As but I'm you thinking, personally, but I'm thinking of having a cheese budget. <laughs> yes, it's it's it's, it's ridiculous. It's, you know, as if you need. Another reason, but you know. Oh yeah, yeah. You just have to look at uh, Juncker and everything he says and everything he does um, yes. as a as a reason for us probably not to be associated too strongly with the European Union. Which, mm. you know, let's be very clear for anyone listening, that's not the same as being close to Europe in any way, shape, or form. In the same way that we want to be close to lots of other countries and trade with them and be friendly with them. But I'd, I'd almost say it's the opposite, because some, some of the things that I like about Europe is that you can go to France and it's French and it's different, you can go to German and uh, Germany and, and, and the place is different. And I've, I've, lots yeah. of, I've visited lots of European countries and I quite like you know, visiting different areas, different cultures, and yeah. with the EU, they're kind of just making them into one single homogenous you know, entity that has no character at all. Mm. Um, yeah, that's a problem. You know, so let, let, the, let the Greeks be the Greeks and, and let, you know. The Are you saying that, um, you know, these countries with their different, stop smiling. Uh, oh, you, there's a lot of googly coming. <laughs> no, no, this is, this is, this is, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm 
throwing up the ball for you to hit squarely. Nick. Okay. Uh, uh, so just rewind a bit. Are you saying that uh, you're ready now? Yeah. Are you are you saying that um, countries with uh, different retirement ages, with different cultures towards hard work or earnings or um, corruption? Um, can all exist together in one harmonious single currency without you know, actually conforming to a set of rules? I would be, I would be very sceptical of that, <laughs> um, even as a, a hypothetical situation. If you have you know, one country where only 50% of the people pay tax, they retire at 35, and then another country that, you know, that work well into their 60s, never strike, um, with a single currency union, I, I don't think that will work, no. Yeah. Yeah, if only someone had tried that. Mm. Um, if, only, if only someone had thought about it beforehand. Well, but you see, this is where um, it's so obvious, and there aren't um, there aren't enough politicians, certainly. And again, you know, it's it, it, it's it, Jacob Rees-Mogg um, it, it points it out when when he's able to uh, quiz uh, Guy Verhofstadt in uh, in the, um, the Common Select Committee which is pointing out where the EU picks and chooses when it wants to abide by its its own rules. Okay, yeah. Um, and you just have to look at the fact that there, there were rules for joining the single currency, which they went, ah, Greece, don't worry. Don't worry about these rules. It's, it'll, it'll be fine. Um, and it's, you know... And there are rules about no... Yeah, no bail, bailouts. No bailout. It wasn't the bailouts weren't mentioned. There were rules against yeah. specifically yeah. saying there will be no bailouts. They're, they're still bailed people out. They've never had yeah. any audited accounts. I don't think. Oh, that's. I mean, that, I've, I've known 17 that. Seventeen or eighteen years or whatever. I've known that for a long, long time. Um, that was before even they were called the European Union. I mean, I remember yeah, again when you're adding up the reasons why you don't don't like the European Union or whatever it was. You know, predecessors were called. That that was a biggie for me. If you can't even have your account signed off, then how good an organisation are you? Again, it's the it's these examples for us of you know government doesn't work. Well, yeah. So another another, another example of, of why their their particular parliament doesn't work. It's the it's the only one on why a, their parliament doesn't work. Well, yeah. So the whole, be clear, that's different from the other bits. Of, yeah, so my point specifically here is that they're the only parliament on earth where the elected representatives cannot propose bills. Yes. So they can't make the law. So the, yeah. the, the way law works is that the commissioners propose the bills. Now, they can, they can vote on it, but yeah. in any, any other parliament on earth, an elected representative can go up and say, right, I've got this bill because yeah. my constituents have you know, been badgering me or whatever. I'm going to put this bill forward. We'll then discuss it as a group, and then we'll, we'll make progress. MEPs can't do that. No. No, it's just a, it's it's rotten to the core. Yeah, we should really be out of that. We should, we should. Um, if only we'd have, I don't know, had a referendum. <laughs> well, what we need, what we need, we need someone... is a people's vote, don't we? That's we, what we, we need. We just need someone Hang to on a minute. accept the referendum. Yes, two years ago we did have the people's vote. Um, albeit, I, I think that what we should do is we should uh, we should ask this question every year. Uh, check progress, um, be allowed to leave the EU, join the EU uh, as many times as we see fit, uh, because that that would surely be the people speaking, or not. Anyway, uh, should we retire back to the living room? Yeah. Okay. We will see you in a moment.
the sounding board, so uh, we're back in your living room again. Um, I'm somewhat nursing um, the G and T. Um, you know, you're not a full-blown libertarian yet. I don't think. I you no, know, I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I will be based on my gin drinking. Um, but anyway, maybe we'll have a whiskey next time. We will. We can. Well, we can certainly have a whiskey after this. Um, so we were just discussing in between walking from the kitchen to the living room. Um, about how, even though things are annoying at the moment, particularly, well, not just with politics, but with Brexit in particular, it still has, if we can, if we can manage to leave properly, um, it still has masses and masses of potential. Um, uh, and this is certainly what, what is and it goes, so frustrating. It, it? Go, it goes both ways. So we could, obviously, we could leave the EU and end up with Jeremy Corbyn as Prime Minister and end up as, you know, similar to Venezuela, so it could, you know, it could go very, very badly. Um, but on the flip side to that, we, we, we may have another Sir John Cooperthwaite or Ludwig Erhardt, and we might have our own... We've got the potential of slashing regulation, of dropping taxes, of having our own economic miracles similar to, massive economic similar to Germany in the, you know, in the 50s. Um, you know, Germany went from being basically bankrupt. And okay, they had like a, a little bit of help from us. Um, but basically they're bankrupt and they went from, from that to having the strongest economy in Europe they yes. just they rocketed past everybody else similar with Hong Kong Hong Kong yep. were very very poor um, and now look at them um, and it's all it's because of free markets it's because of free trade it's, it's low taxes it's all the good stuff all the stuff that we want that we, all the stuff that was invented yes. over here yes. in the west yeah. but is rapidly becoming out of fashion and um, it's very much out of we fashion. want it back yeah which is why and this is what sounding board is all about isn't it it's about us talking about those ideas and trying to get across that they are the they are the right ideas they're the, they're the correct ones um and uh and everything else kind of pales in in comparison and uh, you know we we talk about i think sometimes people get scared off by the term libertarian or libertarianism but it i I, I like using the word freedom because it is it, it is about free markets and about free speech and it's about the freedom of the individual. It is. It's, about, it's about the individual freedom. being over the state. It's about you know mutually beneficial exchange. It's about voluntary yes. transactions. Exactly. It's, it's all I can say. And and just to be clear, we're happy for anybody at all to challenge us on any one of these things. Yes. Um, and I'm I'm comfortable disagreeing with anybody about anything. And arguing based on the facts. Exactly. And I'm I'm happy to to, to you know to portray my side of the argument and to have someone do the same back at me. And we can either agree or you know come to something in the middle or just you know I'm I'm not a, I'm not afraid of hearing an opposing argument. I'm not going to no platform anybody. <laughs> I I believe that the ideas we're putting across here are strong enough on their own, even yes. with, with you and I, who aren't particularly experienced in debating or talking, yes. um, you know, the ideas will, will kind of come through and, and no, serve themselves. And, and this is important, isn't it, for people to understand. We're not journalists, we're not politicians. Um, we're, we're two brothers who want to try and get a message across. Um, and it's because everything has told us from all of our personal experience or the, you know, the experience that we see in the world that these are the right ways of working. And and I think we've both independently looked at the evidence as well. Yeah, we've, looked, we've come to this from different angles completely, and yeah. we've had different journeys to get here, which is probably worth exploring at some point. Um, but we are kind of we're we're, we're kind of pretty pretty similar now, aren't we, in, in kind of the way we think. I mean I'm 
I would I would describe myself as a classical liberal, um, which you know just you know look it up on Wikipedia. Um, whereas you would describe yourself more of a libertarian. Yeah, libertarian or, or, or voluntarist, I think is probably the. Yeah. Um, but I'd be you know I would be more than happy if we had a you know if we had a classical liberal government. Yes. Um, where it was you know it was it was just a. You know the the night watchman state that it was you know keeping us safe, providing a, a legal system. Um, yeah, the rights of property and ownership. Exactly. That, all that. All, yeah. all that. If it yeah. was just doing, you know, if it was just doing that, I'd be I'd be happy. Yeah. Um, and so again, coming back to coming back to Brexit, um, to to me the 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 issue is one of, of utter frustration to not see the people at the top see the potential of it. And, and just to be shouting at the TV or the radio or, or, or whatever it is you're reading at the time, uh, you know, can't, can't, you see, can't you at least see now that what, what the Leave side was talking about um, to, to understand what the, uh, the potential is for this um, in, in, in terms of trade, in terms of, of, of growth and, uh, you know, and boosting the economy? Um, and I wanted to, uh, you know, I wanted to believe that uh, Theresa May and Philip Hammond, as the you know the, the two people at the top, um, did have some kind of vision for it. Uh, but now, you know, two years on, well, it's not quite two years on from her premiership time, but we're, we're pretty much there, aren't we? Um, that it, it it's it's being revealed as just just a, just a a, you know, a soft version of Remain, if anything, rather than. <laughs> Rather than a soft version of, of leave. Yeah, and, and I, I go back to my point earlier in that I think one of the issues is that even the Brexiteers, most of them are statists. So none of them are saying, you know what, we're not going to replace this EU regulation. We're going to get rid of it completely. We're going to yes. free up businesses. Yes. You know, don't don't forget that only only twenty percent of British businesses deal outside of Britain, um, and only. Only half, well, just under half of that. So we, we trade, we still Only trade. 8% of exports go to the EU. 8%? Why are we going to shackle ourselves to a set of rules so that the other 92%? That's exactly my point. We, we still we trade more with the rest of the world, but the, the, the vast majority of trade is within our own borders. So why do you want yes. to have 100% of British businesses uh, burdened by the successive reg- regulation uh, when we could just, we, you know, if we, if we had a trade deal with any other country, then whoever's trading with that country has to deal with their standards. And that's fine. That's yes. a, that, that, you know, you, 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 if you're selling to a customer, you provide what the customer wants. You okay? sell into a market exactly. and you design the product to meet the standards of that market. But if somebody does that, then everybody else doesn't have to adhere to those standards. They might yeah. want to sell to another market that quite perhaps, you know, you, you, you've got your, you know, your companies that want to deal with people in the EU, there'll be some that want to deal with America, there'll be some that want to deal with China, there might be some that want to deal in Africa who maybe can't afford, you know, to, to, to pay for, you know, the high standards that, yes. you know, that Europe demands. Or it's something as simple as labelling. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so why, you've got it right, why shackle 100% of business when only 8% of exports go to the EU? Yeah. So yeah. We could, what we could do is we could slash all that regulation, um, we could do a coup of weight, and we could, you know, watch the economy boom. Imagine if we if we coupled that with massive tax cuts, and we said, you know what, everybody is being taxed too much. We're going to tax people less, 
I think tax revenues would actually go up. All the evidence suggests that uh, you know we're we're getting taxed too much at the moment. Yes. Um, think think of what happened when Thatcher got in in seventy nine. Uh, when the you know the top rate of tax was like eighty five percent or something oh, ridiculous, it was something horrific. Yeah, yeah and some of the marginal rates were even worse, uh, and they dropped it down to sixty percent and then down to forty percent. And in seventy nine, the top one percent were paying about thirteen percent of all income tax, and now it's over a quarter. Yeah, um, it's like twenty seven percent. So you know you, you you drop taxes, and you get more revenue. Yeah. Obviously, and, and I, what I want to stress is that I don't believe we should try and squeeze the most amount of tax out of you know the, the british taxpayer i'm not i'm not for, for one second suggesting that we find the you know the uh, you know the the, the point the where we, we can extract as much tax of, out of our citizens yeah, as possible yeah 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 i'm for you know for completely lowering taxes be way beyond that point to you know nil preferably you know having stuff people pay for stuff voluntarily um but I think if we did just start from where we are now, if we did start lowering taxes, uh, you know, a benefit for the statists is that they'll get more money. Yes, which is, I suppose, I mean, the whole point is it's, it's counterintuitive um, in a lot of ways um, uh, that that happens. Um, but it happened as soon as, um, as soon as even Osborne lowered the top rate of tax from 50 to 45%. Of course. Uh, and when, uh, when he lowered um, the corporation tax, I mean, you know, we're... There are, there are politicians we love and politicians we don't love as much. Uh, there are politicians we respect. Um, I respected George Osborne quite a bit until, again, the kind of run-up to the Remain campaign and, and all of that. Um, or he, was still, he was still a tax-and-spend brown light chancellor, in my opinion. It's difficult, isn't it? Did they make cuts to services and budgets? Yes, they did. And, and, they, Teeny, and they brought the, they brought the, they brought the, the structural deficit down and the structural deficit is low. But they made, they, made, they made cuts in the wrong way. They, they said, right, we're going to take a little bit from here, a little Slightly bit from here, a little, yeah, yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah, from exactly. everywhere. When they should have said, you know what, we're going to get rid of this entire department. Yes. Yeah. Um, but what he, what he did do, the positives uh, were the, um, the massive lowering of corporation tax rate. And again, what happened? They got more corporation tax take. Well, as a result, you know it? what happened in Ireland when they dropped corporation tax. Yeah, lots of businesses come there. Yeah, um, you know, yes, it, the likes of Apple and Microsoft all go to have their European headquarters in Ireland because of the favourable tax rates. And what happens when a big company comes? Jobs, which means people are employed, people begin to spend more money, the economy grows. So uh, this is this is why we're advocates of of, of a low tax regime because. Um, it encourages people to want to earn more uh, and it encourages people uh, to set up businesses and it encourages businesses to want to hire people because it's cheaper for them to hire people it's, and uh, it's cheaper for them if they don't have to pay corporation tax on their profits. Well, well taxes, taxes discourage. Yeah. Every single tax is, you know, will discourage... And this is an interesting something. thing about the left, isn't it? They don't think that you can change people's behaviour. They think that people's behaviour is kind of locked in. It is, they say it is, a, is a, constant. a constant and that then it's just then about extracting the most amount you can and so you know most of them want 100% tax and, and then you know the state does everything um, but you know I was thinking, I was thinking <laughs> this is a slight digression again and I'm sure we'll spend more time talking this about another day but I was thinking again about the NHS because um, obviously it's you know 70 years and all that kind of stuff uh, and, I, and I was thinking about how um, uh, 
the the, the government government departments and agencies um, across across the board don't have a common um, state run um, cleaning business. Um, they they you know, just just to put, just pick one you know ancillary part of the service a supporting service for the NHS is the, they need cleaners, and I'm I'm pretty sure that most of those are going to be private contracts. Um, and likewise, uh, the you know the you need cleaners for every office building. You need cleaners for every um, every organisation, and so the government has um, a lot of um, a lot of departments and a lot of agencies and bureaucracies and all these that need cleaners. But where's the national cleaning service? Surely that would be a really easy one. We're not talking about medicine here. We're not talking about saving lives. We're not talking about having to research and invest and, and do all these complicated things like, like cure people and, 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 and give them medicine and operate on them all that. We're just talking about cleaning. If we're going to nationalise something, shouldn't we do it with something simple? And yet there isn't a national cleaning service. Your one you always throw back to me is there's not a national food service. Well, that's, that's my favourite example. Food is more important than healthcare. So if you get, people always say, oh, well, healthcare is very, very important. It's not as important as food. I can survive quite a long time without any kind of healthcare. I can't survive without food. So why is there not a national food service? Yeah, yeah. And it was along those lines that I thought, hang on a minute, what are these other ancillary services that are probably what people would c- c- call privatising the NHS by the back door and it's a local cleaning firm or it's a national contract that's awarded um, to a particular region or something for, for cleaners. And the point being is it's really simple. Yet no one says, oh, we should absolutely have, you know, all, all cleaners of government buildings uh, should be on the government payroll. Of course not. And why? Because the private sector does it better. Because if everyone was paid by the state to clean, then you wouldn't have stuff very clean because they just assume they were going to get paid anyway and they're not clean. That's, that's exactly it. But, you know, that, that isn't extrapolated out into you know i mean so so the nhs you that's another thing that's happened recently the nhs is now 70 years old and it is still unique it's still a unique system in the entire world and you have to ask yourself why why is it unique after 70 years old is it you know is it is it because other people just aren't capable of copying it or is it because it's rubbish and the outcomes (laughs) are far far inferior to other countries who spend the same amount of money on envy okay. of the world I love that it's phrase just, it's awful I love, it's awful. I love that phrase um, but yet it's the oh uh, was it uh, Nigel Lawson is this the closest thing to a national religion yes in this it was Lawson yeah um, smart guy <laughs> yeah I think I took us off topic there a bit with uh, with NHS stuff, but you did. But we 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 were just talking about how things could be better under Brexit. So we yes. could get rid of regulation. We could get we re- could lower taxes. We could lower taxes. We could yeah. We could. I mean, so VAT is, is an EU rule. We could just yes. abolish VAT if we wanted to. Yes. Um, By getting rid of and again, this is an important thing because I talk to people um, who are intelligent people who aren't um, as in, as engaged in the arguments as as we are because we are interested in it. And it's the, the fact that they don't understand that there is a, a common external tariff to the European Union. And that that's what stops us from buying cheaper food from Africa. And how is, how is that a good thing? Okay, it's cheaper, so the consumer here gets a cheaper product. And we're buying services from a country that needs to sell their services in order to improve um, their lot in the world. 
And what we do is we we put up this this tariff barrier. So again, when we, whenever they talk about they talk about tariff barriers and frictionless trade and all this kind of stuff, when talking about the EU, they don't talk about the fact that all of those frictions and tariffs exist at the border of the EU to the rest of the world, and in particular to the poorer countries of Africa. And if we're supporting, if we want to try and support these countries building themselves up or why the hell aren't we trading with them more and saying you've got you know fresh produce that we could buy um, and rather than putting a 25% tariff or whatever it is um, in order to sell it into our country we'll take it as is and then you get the trade you get to hire the staff and pay the good wages and and you know lift your com- country up by the bootstraps we get cheaper food. Where's the it's lose? A, it's an absolute win-win. Yeah, it is. And I suppose what 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 politicians like to talk about is the fact that there is always a loser, and that loser would be some country in the EU. But the point well, is, no, 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 is no, no. they so would then be encouraged to to do it better and do it cheaper. Well, yeah, That's so what competition does. You know, so you, you go back to the example of us dealing with someone, something like an African farmer. It's you know. Mutually beneficial exchange. That's the very definition yeah. of, of, of what that type of trade is. You know, it's good for the it's good for the consumer. It's good for the producer. Good for the workers. Y- yeah, it's, it's good for everyone who's employed. It's good for people over here because they, you know they're, they're they're getting the cheaper food or or whatever. Um, and you know, if somebody else is a bit cheesed off that they can't produce as cheaply as somebody in Africa, well. Maybe do something else. Yes. You know, maybe if we're keeping yes. you afloat, we're stopping you from doing something that you are good at. Yeah. Um, and that's that, that that's why that's why I like for want of a better. Well, I was going to say capitalism. That's why I like free markets because the we're not. Yeah, cropping- capitalism's got a bad name, doesn't it? And it's seen as greed. It's seen as uh, as as promoting greed. And I think most people see it as the uh, the pursuit of capital, which is understandable. Yes. And obviously the. You know, one of the best ways to do that is to be in league with the government, which is more what I would think of as corporatism. Yes. So I people think, mistake capitalism with corporatism, yes. and, so, and that's free markets. We'll, we'll go into that in another edition, I think, as well. But yes, yeah, so, so with you know, with, with free markets, you know, you might be good at something. Somebody else comes along, does it a bit better than you, uh, and you start losing business. So you're then forced to either do it better or to do something else, and that's better yes. for everybody. Yes. Absolutely, and that's the that's what we could do. So if um, you only have to, to to look on look up you know Cooperthwaite on the internet um, or the German economic miracle Ludwig Erhard, and you can see there's there is so much evidence as to when these ideas have been tried relatively recently, and they've massively and massively they succeeded. And, and, and on, the, on the flip side, you can look you can look at recent examples of places like Venezuela. Um, you know the, the the Soviet Union, uh, yeah. you know China in relatively recent history, where North they've tried Korea. North Korea, where they've tried the exact opposite, and look where they are. Yeah, or where they were. Yes, again, so you know China's had a boom. Do you think that could be because they've started to embrace free markets a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Soviet Union, that's not around anymore. Yeah. So we've covered an awful lot of topics in that last in that last bit, but I think that, that to me that just serves as an introduction to what we want to talk about on this podcast. 
And without rambling on any, any more about any of those, um, I think we should just leave it there um, and, and encourage people to tune in next time because we want to talk about free trade. We want to talk about the you know, comparative advantage. We want to talk about why these ideas are good and why low tax, small government uh, and, and all the rest are, are the ways of working that, that work. So we'll see you next time. Bye.